You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. The pick is in. Judge Amy Coney Barrett, nominated by the president to serve on the United States Supreme Court. Going to get to some of the highlights of that Rose Garden ceremony in a moment. But first, we have to look at the process and the tactics that will likely be deployed by both sides in the upcoming battle in the United States Senate. Hot on the heels of Judge Coney Barrett being nominated by the president, you saw key Democrats, Chuck Schumer, uh, Dianne Feinstein, others come out and say they will not meet with her. Uh, They will not discuss her judicial philosophy. Uh, They will not observe her temperament. They will utilize their time, uh, those who are on the Senate Judiciary Committee to ask questions, but they will not participate in the process. This is a similar tactic uh, that was used by Republicans in the treatment of Merritt Garland. The difference is the Democrats hadn't consolidated the requisite power under our constitutional system to seat Merritt Garland on the court because they did not have the Senate. Here, President Trump has the Senate. So, Democrats I've been talking to on Capitol Hill realize they have two choices either go with the slash and burn or not. They worry that if they don't fully activate the Democrat, liberal, leftist, hate machine, that they will demoralize elements of their own base, that they will lose control of the court. And they think that if they disqualify Judge Coney Barrett, that it would really jam the Senate and the calendar and the president and their ability to nominate someone else. Again, if, you know, the Democrats had gone after Kavanaugh or Gorsuch with enough vigor to knock him out, well, President Trump probably would have nominated somebody else that they didn't like very much. But here with Judge Coney Barrett, they think that any knockout punch that they land is one that potentially preserves a seat on the court should their worldview prevail in the upcoming election with the voters, which I think is unlikely given the destruction and arson that the Biden-Harris campaign has embraced. You know, given these killings of law enforcement officials that have horrified the country that, you know, have been advanced by an increased temperature of disrespect and confrontation with law enforcement that needs to be more thoroughly renounced on all sides of the political spectrum. But uh, here we are evaluating the Supreme Court pick through the lens of those things going on. Democrats are going to try to make this pick as much about health care as anything else with pending decisions about the validity and constitutionality of Obamacare uh, potentially coming before the court. They're going to try to act as though you know that is the defining issue. Obviously, a Supreme Court justice impacts a wide array of policies, and I think their judicial temperament, their judicial philosophy, their adherence to the Constitution, their understanding of originalism uh, is far more relevant than any one policy outcome that anyone may have on the right or the left. Good judges make good decisions for the long haul that stand the test of time, and we hope that Judge Amy Coney Barrett is, in fact, given that promotion and given the opportunity to serve on the United States Supreme Court. But I don't think the best strategy for Republicans is to wait two weeks to have the first hearing. Chairman Lindsey Graham has announced October 12th as the beginning of the hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee. I don't know why that's not next week. You know, Democrats would typically say, oh, well, we need time to meet with the candidate. 
But here, they've, for the most part, announced that they're not going to meet with Judge Amy Coney Barrett, so why give them the extra week? And we also see uh, from Democrat aides different procedural options being discussed to try to really make a mockery of this process, whether it's motions to adjourn, procedural motions, motions to appeal the ruling of the chair, not because there's a genuine disagreement, but just to create delay. Uh, I think that if the Democrats are going to try to bring the Senate to a halt, Republicans ought to at least begin off the starting line with a lot of vigor and with an aggressive calendar. And so I would suggest next week would be better than the following week to begin that process because every hour, every day is precious. And look, when you look at Judge Coney Barrett, She's certainly someone that we want to showcase. Just take a listen to some of her comments in the Rose Garden. Thank you very much, Mr. President. I am deeply honored by the confidence that you have placed in me. And I am so grateful to you and the First Lady, to the Vice President and the Second Lady, and to so many others here for your kindness on this rather overwhelming occasion. I fully understand that this is a momentous decision for a President. And if the Senate does me the honor of confirming me, I pledge to discharge the responsibilities of this job to the very best of my ability. I love the United States, and I love the United States Constitution. I am truly... <laughs> I am truly humbled by the prospect of serving on the Supreme Court. President Trump thinks there should be a drug test before the upcoming presidential debate. Take a listen to the president. Do you really believe that Joe Biden will be on any type of performance-enhancing drug ahead of the debates, or are you just joking? No, I'm not joking. I mean, I'm willing to take a drug test. I think he should, too, because he's had a very uneven... I watched him with uh, some of the... When he was with, you know, debating... Uh, Pocahontas and uh, Harris, who treated him so badly, but I watched him... And he was out of it, right? And then I watched him against Bernie Sanders, and he was okay. I mean, he wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible. He was okay. A far cry from the way he, uh, you know what I'm saying. I mean, if you look at some of those debates, I said there's no way he can continue. He can't continue. Then all of a sudden, he debated crazy Bernie Sanders. And you know what? The truth is he was, he was okay. And I said, how did he go from there with those horrible performances to where he was okay. And I always joke, but, you know, it is true. He was no Winston Churchill in debating, but he was fine. And people say he was on performance-enhancing drugs. A lot of people have said that. A lot of people have written that. So, so, take a look at it. Take a look. Why don't you just check it? You can check out the Internet. You'll see plenty of people say it. And whether he is or not doesn't matter, but uh, I would love to take a test and he can take a test too. I agree that Joe Biden's campaign is absolutely going to have him on, what would you say, like 50 milligrams of Adderall uh, throughout this experience. I think they're trying to going to try to get this guy hyped up, rocking and rolling and alert because I think that's really Biden's problem in the debate, a sustained alertness. Here's my hot take. The winner of this debate may be the person who says the fewest words. For Joe Biden to say crazy things 
President Trump has to give him the opportunity to say things. If Joe Biden is faced with the biggest challenge in this debate, it may be the completion of his own thoughts or his own sentences or paragraphs. You know, Joe Biden faces no enemy in this debate harder than, uh, you know, keeping a recollection of the things he has said and the stories he's telling. So if President Trump is constantly interrupting Joe Biden, it could potentially be like a lifeline. It could be a, a way to let him off the hook. If Chris Wallace is constantly reminding Joe Biden of things or events or questions, uh, if he's stimulating the debate uh, overly with his uh, attempts to narrate our way through this experience, then that could also inure to Joe Biden's benefit. So it's my hope that Biden's got to stand on his own two feet for as long as possible. I think that's when he's at his weakness. I think Joe Biden should have to stand on his own two feet as much as possible. I think that's actually his greatest weakness. And if President Trump's wise, he'll give Joe Biden just enough rope to hang himself, because I think that is likely to occur if he has to actually develop a vision and an ideology. Uh, I would also say that the debate has to be more than just two people in their 70s blaming each other for the worst parts of the status quo. There has to be vision. There has to be optimism. There has to be a sense that our future can be greater. President Trump did this in the debates with Hillary Clinton to great effect. You know, she was largely you know, annoyed that she was even having to be on the same stage as Donald Trump. And she was very dismissive of him. And I think when he talked about, you know, Obama not being a good enough cheerleader for the country when he criticized the lack of ambition, you know, that we saw in the prior administration, he both framed Hillary Clinton as part of the corrupt institutionalized status quo. And he gave Americans, I think, the sense that things could in fact be different, that we didn't have to be stuck with low growth and no wage increases and more and more offshoring of jobs and more, more and more of an incentive for American companies to have their intellectual property elsewhere, have their cash elsewhere, have their factories elsewhere. And we've seen this great American revival and the president needs to talk about that, but not just uh, in terms of the past, but in terms of its opportunities to impact the lives of Americans going forward. I think that's the key to the debate. Vision and then allowing Joe Biden to demonstrate himself as, as a person really without that vision. And then in terms of the, the searing moments, we can't forget humor. You know, there is, I think, an easy trap in this debate to be so caught up with, you know, some of the real challenges we face, whether it's the riots in the streets, uh, whether it's the, you know, woke-topian left uh, allowing their failed policies to spread to liberal cities around the country. But if it's just all negative all the time, uh, I think that it becomes just a bit dense for the viewer. And so while the contrast is very clear, while the stakes are very high, I would advise the president to, you know, take the opportunity at times to be self-effacing or, you know, if appropriate, take the opportunity to use humor uh, to have a biting critique of something that Biden has done or that he would do to the people of our country. So be funny, show vision, don't talk too much. Should be easy. I think it'll be a win for the president tomorrow night. I can't wait. CNBC's Arun Karpal has the story. Judge blocks Trump administration's ban on new TikTok downloads from U.S. app stores. 
A judge has blocked an order from the Trump administration that would have banned TikTok from being downloaded from U.S. app stores. The terms of the deal to create the U.S.-based TikTok Global still remain in flux with ByteDance, Oracle, and Walmart still needing to finalize the ownership structure of the new entity. And of course, that deal will have to undergo a national security review as well. Uh, this judge has blocked the order. TikTok saying in a statement, we're pleased that the court agreed with our legal arguments uh, and issued an injunction preventing the implementation of the TikTok app ban. We will continue defending our rights for the benefit of our community and employees. At the same time, we will also maintain our ongoing dialogue with the government to turn our proposal, which the president gave his preliminary approval to last weekend, into an agreement. The U.S. Commerce Department says it will continue to defend the executive order, which is consistent with the law and promotes legitimate national security issues. This injunction should not have been issued. That's my hot take. The president has to be able to protect the national security of the United States as the commander-in-chief. TikTok is a threat to the United States, and no court should stand between our commander-in-chief and our safety, our security, our ability to protect ourselves from the Chinese at a time when they are deploying these multi-use technologies to probe the vulnerabilities of the United States. This injunction should be vacated, whether a deal is reached or not. And by the way, no deal is better than a bad deal. I am absolutely sure that the final you know, analysis here must end with Americans being safer and less vulnerable to Chinese efforts to spy and to use TikTok to the strategic advantage of their country against our country. China is not our friend. By the way, that's a chapter in my book, Firebrand. And in my book, I lay out the policies that we have to adopt in order to be more resilient against Chinese aggression. Banning TikTok in our country would be one such policy. And I believe that uh, the Commerce Department is right to appeal it. We'll keep following the story. FloridaPolitics.com's A.G. Yankarski has the story. Donald Trump blasts Mike Bloomberg felling rights restoration spend as bribing and a serious crime. And it uh, chronicles a tweet from the president. Wow, nobody realized how far many Mike Bloomberg went in bribing ex-prisoners to go out and vote for Sleepy Joe. He is desperate to get back in the good graces of the people who not only badly beat him, but made him look like a total fool now he's committed a serious crime. Uh, I have gone over the facts and the law on this. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis discussed it on Laura Ingram's program. Take a listen. Are you worried about Michael Bloomberg's efforts to uh, pay the penalties, the fines of former felons who would then get the right to vote if their fines were paid? $16 well, our attorney general's investigating that. Um, it's a situation where He's doing it. He's discriminating on the basis of race. He's only paying off if you're a certain race. And basically, I think someone in his organization said, yeah, because we think they'll vote for the candidate we want. And under Florida law, that very well may run afoul of that. Uh, so we'll have to see. But it is being investigated uh, and it may be investigated federally, but it certainly is investigated by the state attorney general in the state of Florida. I'm glad the attorney general is investigating. Let's hope there is progress soon before the integrity of the vote is eroded in Florida. The New York Times out with apparently a report of President Trump's taxes through the Trump Organization. 
A lot of the details in the report are in dispute. I thought the best hot take came from Kristen Soltis-Anderson. She was on The Next Revolution with Steve Hilton last evening. I was also on that program, but she was asked in an interview with Steve what the impact would be of these allegations. Take a listen. This tax returns um, hit job, as I called it. I don't want to dignify it by calling it a story because I think it just seems so orchestrated to line up just before the first debate. What do you think? Will, will that affect the election anyway? If Donald Trump was running for president for the first time, maybe, because a big part of his argument was that he's a successful businessman, and that doesn't necessarily square with a report that you've lost money every year for, you know, X number of years. However, I think part of that argument was, hey, vote for me, I'll be good on the economy because of my business record. Now, it's less important what his business record was if you like or whether you like or don't like the president, the economy we've had under President Trump, his business record is somewhat mm. less material. So I think there is some risk because there may be a lot of Americans that go, wait a minute, I paid more than $750 in taxes last year, who are personally upset to hear that. Um, but I do think it may have less of an effect because people are already judging President Trump's economic record on its own numbers rather than on it as a hypothetical thing based yeah. on Trump's business record. I think she's right. President Trump is being judged for the economic record of the country at this point far more than the decisions he's made within his businesses regarding assets and liabilities and various taxes paid. I think what most Americans are worried about is whether or not their own economic conditions are going to improve. President Trump has shown the capability to do that. The policies of the Obama-Biden administration had our economy stagnant, had wages flatlined, had more and more American investment leaving the country. And now uh, with the opportunity to rebound from coronavirus, I think it's President Trump's policies that will get the stamp of approval from the voters so that we're able to continue implementing them and ensuring that the American people, every segment, every income bracket, every geography, get to participate in the greatness of American prosperity. BBC News has the very strange story. Vietnamese police seize more than 320,000 used condoms that were to be sold illegally to unsuspecting customers. Footage showed dozens of mags that together weighed over 794 pounds in a warehouse that was recently raided in the Bindung province. A woman who was believed to be the owner of the warehouse was arrested. The condoms were reportedly washed, reshaped with wooden dildos, and then repackaged before being resold. The arrested woman said she was paid 17 cents per kilogram for the condoms. According to the Vietnamese state broadcasted TV, it is unclear how many such condoms have already been resold on the market. That is absolutely disgusting. I have no idea what the penalty is for this, but I hope it is severe. James O'Keefe and his fellow guerrilla journalists at Project Veritas may have exposed the biggest scandal yet, particularly in ballot harvesting. Now, in a lot of these uh, audio recordings, you have folks who aren't speaking English, but this is from Ilhan Omar's district in the swing state of Minnesota, where you see some pretty awful tactics being deployed. Take a listen to these recordings obtained by Project Veritas. 
James O'Keefe here in downtown Minneapolis at the scene of the crime. The person you're about to meet, Levon Muhammad, aka King Levon One, boasts about the hundreds of absentee ballots in his car. Numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. What you think? Gary, you have absent ballot. Salkayal. So much did it. Very. What has happened? So much did it. There was video, you can see the video, there was a video out and about that he has the ballots in his car. Right. And talking about the only way you can win is with money. I was looking at them and they were not filled. They were blank. Who is the one filling out the absentee ballots? People who work uh, with, like, Han Omar. Where do they pay the money? The, the minute we sign the thing, the election, that's what you can pay. Money is everything. Money is the key in this world. If you ain't got money, you should you should not be here. Period. At the end of this street, yes, there's three towers called one tower. Okay. And it's all seniors, and they took every ballot. Every ballot. They just every take them from them. Every single ballot. They knock on the door and say, "Your ballots come. Give it to me. Give it to me." They don't even pay them for it. They just take it. No. And the ones that didn't vote on ballots, the young people and the women and stuff, they were paying cash, cash, cash. They were getting bags of money the last one week here to, to drive people. So there's a vested interest, but we are victims of the system. They don't give a shit about any money. Here's my hot take. The United States Department of Justice needs to investigate this immediately. Project Veritas has always shown a willingness to work with law enforcement, and I think they need to be immediately engaged by the United States attorney for this particular district in Minnesota. We need these individuals out on the ground, paying money for ballots, harvesting ballots, committing election fraud, to turn on the organizers and the criminals who are devising these schemes to steal the election from the American people. This isn't about one person, one vote. This is straight boss tweed style politics. And it's my expectation that in the Trump administration, we would have focus on the integrity of the ballot at the Department of Justice. If there are not DOJ investigations following these Project Veritas videos, then the election system cannot be trusted. And that really is a shame to say because we deserve votes that are lawfully cast, appropriately counted, timely reported, and that then serve as an example to the world. The type of ballot harvesting that we see here from liberal groups allegedly connected to a member of Congress, allegedly connected to Ilhan Omar, we'll see if that's true. I don't want to make that claim. That's not something I verified, but it's in the reporting we see from Project Veritas. If this stuff's going on, we got to get to the bottom of it and we have to expose the criminal networks backing it. Nothing short of a full investigation would vindicate the trust that we must all have in our precious American elections. Thanks for listening to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates, And make sure to subscribe, rate the show, and join us tomorrow for more Hot Takes. Hot Takes.